Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We certainly appreciate being included here in your day, and what a day it is shaping up to be. Folks, over this past weekend, we have seen the second and third third largest bank failures in U.S. history happen, and that's changing the way the investment world looks at money. Joining us now to talk markets right off the bat, we've got Darren Newsom. He's the senior analyst with Bar Chart. And Darren, we've got some volatility in the investment world today. Bring us up to speed. How is the market reacting to these bank failures from last week? Yeah, it was it was interesting, Mike. You know, one of the things that we saw overnight was, you know, initially there was a little bit of buying as news came out that, you know, the federal government was going to ensure, you know, that the deposits were, were taken care of. And then all of a sudden, as the morning hours rolled around, we saw some heavy selling uh, as as investors were dumping uh, not only you know U.S. stock, uh, you know futures and so on, and, and overseas, but then in the commodities as well. We saw we saw you know crude oil collapse. We saw the grains and oil seeds uh, come under a, a lot of pressure, uh, and then, you know then we as as the opening bell rang. We didn't see any follow through, though. And that's what I find interesting is that now we've got corn back in the green. Soybeans are back in the green. Uh, if I look over at the energy sector, still under pressure, but, you know, a couple. Oh, seems like we're having a little bit of an issue there with Darren. We'll try to get Darren Newsom back on the line here. There we go. Darren, we get you back in. Yeah, sorry about that, Mike. Hey, not a problem. We're talking about the energy markets you yep. mentioned. Still down on the day, but we're up from the the lows in the overnight, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We've we've been able to gain back a couple, you know, a couple dollars. And you know, it's just been an interesting morning. You said it in the open. A lot of volatility, and that's that's what we're going to have to expect for the next number of days. Darren, the other major topic I'm hearing from a lot of financial market watchers is how is this going to impact the rate of increases for the Federal Reserve? Goldman Sachs says now the Fed's not going to raise rates at their next <laughs> meeting. What's your take and why are we taking an issue with interest rate hikes here from the Fed on a bank failure? Yeah, you know, to me, the thing, you know, the, the argument would be like this, this, these bank failures create economic uncertainty. And so at a time when you have economic uncertainty, uh, it might not be the Federal Reserve's job to go ahead and, and continue raising interest rates. That's one argument. That's from, you know, it's from the investment side. From the bank, you know, from, from the purely monetary side, we're still, we're still looking at inflation. Now, that argument and, and you know, the, the, the normal you know, reaction to inflation is to continue to, you know, increase rate height and increase interest rates until inflation starts to crack. But now we look at the futures and futures aren't necessarily cash price. We know that. But the futures markets have collapsed. As I said, we've got non-commercials uh, investment traders getting out of commodities uh, you know, left and right. At least they were up until this morning. Uh, and so now we'll see what happens. But, you know, the argument is economically, maybe the U.S. doesn't need to continue to raise interest rates. The Fed might look at it. We've still got inflation. Their job is to control it. You know, there's other avenues, uh, you know, that these banks could certainly look at. 
rather than in, you know worrying about in, you know interest rate hikes. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I would expect to continue to see some uh, some hikes later on. All right, Darren, with all of that to the side, we still have fundamental factors moving in the commodity space. And as you mentioned, we've seen the commodities, the grains move back towards the green corn, beans and wheat all in the green wheat solidly in the green seven to 10 cents here in the Mm -hmm. Chicago contract. What's happening in the wheat market? You know, the wheat just got so I mean, just so beaten up so badly. I mean, we saw the Kansas City July contract lose more than the dollar at a time uh, when, you know, the crop's just been devastated across the southern plains. And so there, you know, it, it just made sense that we it would start to attract some interest, you know, if folks actually did start to look at the fundamentals again. And late last week, that seemed to be happening. Uh, so we saw, you know, we saw Kansas City rally. We saw, you know, wheat markets, wheat contracts in general post short-term bullish reversals on their daily charts. And it was going to be interesting to see if we could see, so we get some follow-through activity. And initially it didn't look like it was going to happen, and then it did. So we may be on the path now for these wheat contracts to be moving higher. Again, based on the fundamentals, particularly in Kansas City. Fundamentally, Chicago's the most bearish, but it's also the one that could attract, uh, you know, the most investment money if, they want to roll some money in that direction. Darren, thinking about inflation front and center again, with all of the turmoil we've got in the markets today, it's looking like the protein complex, live and feeder cattle are selling off on the day. Is this that fear of inflation coming back into the meat space? I think what you know, there, there's this unusual tie between, I think this has to do with economics. You know, there's this, there's this unusual tie between, you know, stock markets and, uh, and, and, and livestock markets, particularly, particularly cattle. We know that boxed beef got high and we know that it's been strong for a long time. We also know that the cash price has been following futures, which is something that's unusual. And so late last week, you know, where, where grains and oil seeds were, were looking to get a little more bullish, the livestock sector in general was putting in some short-term bearish reversal patterns. And, you know, it just looked like the, the markets were tired. They, they, they've built in, they, you know, they've, they've filled all the buy orders that were available. And now you have to see how many people wanted to buy 150, 160 live, $200 plus feeder cattle and so on. And it just looks like it ran out of some buying interest and that leaves a vacuum underneath, you know, contracts are going to have to come down and fill could be tied to economics. We'll see what boxed beef does. We'll see what the we'll see what the U.S. stock indexes do here over the next few days. But to me, the markets just look tired, particularly on the cattle side. Well, Darren, I was clicking around, looking at my screens, and I found a market that does not look tired at all. It looks like it's come to life, and it's over in the metals, and that's gold. Plug a north of 1900 here in the April contract. Darren, what do you think about this gold market medium term? Okay, so if we are talking about you know, the second largest, third largest, and so on and so forth, banks to ever fail. We're, we're you know, it, it just brightens that spotlight again on safe haven markets. And then we have to look at the three kings of commodities, corn, crude oil, and gold. Of those three, gold's going to probably draw the most attention. And it certainly seems to be that case. Technically, we've seen the market turn. Uh, you know, the April contract's been posting some bullish signals here of late. And now we've got some fundamentals as to why we've got problems with you know, it looks like we've got some financial issues to deal with once again. And so the money, you know, as I said, it's going to be pulling it, pulling out of a lot of these investment markets. It's going to be looking for someplace safe to go. And that historically has been gold. Uh, and it certainly looks like that's the case. We're also hearing of countries, you know, uh, you know, trying to lock up as much gold as they possibly can here uh, in early in 2023. Saw some headlines of that over the weekend. Uh, and so that's what's been providing support to the market. Now we're seeing the future start to react.
Darren, is $2,000 gold in the cards here? Uh, it's not out of the question. I mean, let's look at the April here. Uh, you know. Oh, shoot, folks. I think we lost Darren there. That's Darren Newsom. He's the senior market. Five. Uh, could it get to 2000? Sure. I mean, okay. if we if we see enough financial problems going on, I'm going to say maybe not right now, but it, down the road, 2000 is not out of the question. All right, those big round numbers coming back into focus. Folks, that's Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst with Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we'll dig into protein consumption with Glenn Tonser, Professor at Kansas State and the author of The Meat Demand Monitor. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to farm rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA Today. You know, we were just speaking with Darren Newsom about demand out there for commodities in the global investment world. But now we're going to bring the focus back to demand for specific commodities, predominantly those based on protein. Joining us next is Dr. Glenn Tonser, professor of ag economics at Kansas State University. He and his team together put together the March, excuse me, the monthly demand monitor. And uh, we're going to be talking about that meat demand for the month of March. Dr. Tonser, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Glenn, before we dive into the details, as always, I'd like you to explain a little bit about the Meat Demand Monitor and how this data comes into your possession. Yeah, so we're over three years into this uh, quote-unquote new project now. Uh, in the academic world, it's still new. But in February of 2020, we launched data collection uh, every month and more narrowly every day within each month. We're surveying U.S. residents to assess their both at-home and away-from-home protein purchasing uh, behavior and doing a lot of measurement in that, hence the term meat demand monitor. Uh, so this is a survey-based project. It's beef and pork checkoff funded. All the information, the surveys, the raw data, the subsequent reports, uh, visual dashboards, even some links to our AOA podcast are all on our agmanager.info website. So you and I tend to give a monthly summary, which I think is great. But for those listeners that want more, uh, they're encouraged to go to our Ag Manager website and do a deep dive. Absolutely, folks. All the data is right there. You can dive into it, make it do what you need to do. It is a fantastic resource available to all of us in the meat space. Glenn, let's dive into these details. As you mentioned, this is the third year now you've been compiling these monthly data. Let's talk through February 2023 versus January 2023. What do the trends show us here for the consumer? Yeah, so the, the summary statement would be is meat demand continues to slip. So for five or six months in a row, that's been my main comment when we've done these summaries. Uh, so even more narrowly, uh, we track ribeye steak and ground beef as two beef categories. We check pork chop and bacon as two pork uh, retail categories, chicken breast, and then some others, including plant-based patties, shrimp, beans and rice, so forth. Uh, so several in the broader meat protein space are what we're tracking. And across the board retail, so think grocery store for at-home consumption, Demand in February was lower than it was in January of 23. And importantly, also here in February of 23, demand at, you know, through the grocery store channel was down compared to the same month the prior year. So February of 23 is definitely weaker in terms of grocery store demand. And the same story basically holds away from home. So we also assess your behavior when you're out for a dinner meal. So food service away from home, uh, similar, you know, main entree now. So the whole meal, but, you know, centered around, say, ribeye steak or pork chop and the like, same kind of categories. And demand in February was down from January, as well as down from February of 2022 as well. So across the board, I think consumers continue to tighten their financial belts. All right. As they are tightening those belts, Glenn, are we finding them moving those monies into other protein categories? Are they changing down from ribeye to, to pork loin, et cetera? Some of all the above. So, you know, eating out a little bit less often is part of that. Um, but even, you know, the most common question I've gotten in the last two months 
is are we seeing a shift from quote unquote expensive beefsteak towards, as you said, a pork chop or maybe even a chicken breast is the more common question I get. And there's a little evidence of that, but not it's not that clean of a story. So even my chicken breast demand measure is down. I only want to be clear about that. I think the overriding you know, response is just buying meat protein a little bit less often or you know, just you know shrinking the package size when we can. So grocery store, you do some of that and so forth. I, I try to reiterate this point because I think it's really important is it's multi-species and it's not from a you know consumer image or product quality kind of concern. I think it is inflation, while it is moderating the best we can tell, uh, still is outpacing wages for the median or kind of the typical U.S. resident. And we see that show up in all my demand metrics on eroding meat demand. Well, Glenn, I mean, that's interesting. When you talk about the reasons why people are are making the decisions they're making when they get to the grocery case, the meat demand monitor, you also track what what factors people consider as they step up to that meat case. And I, I know price and freshness and taste are all part of it. Can you talk about what's What's shifted in that uh, that values decision when they're uh, going to make their purchase? Yeah, so we have what something we call protein values, and each month I put in front of every one of these respondents. So again, this is well over two thousand people every month doing this. Uh, a list of twelve things, and you highlighted some of them: but uh, taste, freshness, safety, price, all the way towards origin traceability, environmental impact. There's a full list of twelve. Again, go to Ag Manager, you can look at this. And I force people to tell me the four that are most important when they're making a protein purchasing decision, and then tell me the four that are least. And of course, the four you don't pick are the kind of the four intermediate. So for each person, I know which of those three groupings each item falls in. And to answer your question first and foremost, the importance of price has grown. So price shows up in the top four important bucket more often today than it did a year ago, than it did two years ago. And that's not surprising. That fits my you know net wage decline kind of thesis here. Uh, but regardless of that, taste, freshness, safety, and price are regularly, month after month, the whole time we've been doing this for three years, top considerations. And I think that's great for beef and pork because there's a lot of unique taste, freshness components that they have to offer. Uh, I think that's key to sustaining domestic demand. To round us out, you know, if people ask, what's, well, what's less important? Uh, origin traceability and environmental impact are always two that show up on the bottom of that list. I always clarify that doesn't mean they don't matter. But when put in a forced choice situation, which is what I do in this scenario, they're not top-ranking factors for the typical U.S. meat consumer. So there's niche market opportunities for those in associated labeling claims and so forth, but it's not what drives the typical buy or don't buy decision for the representative U.S. meat consumer. Well, that certainly makes sense, Glenn. And I'd like to circle back to something you do track, which is, of course, the where that this consumption happens. What is it home? Is it away from home? Are we seeing any trends there that would uh, continue to amplify this price is an issue point? Are folks dining out less often? Uh, Slightly. So we have that by meal. So 74% had breakfast at home in February, 55% for lunch, and then 65% had dinner at home. Uh, those are slightly up uh, compared to the past. Uh, that's my comment about foot traffic, you know, food service decline. Is some are tightening the belt by choosing to eat at home, but it's not a drastic change and nowhere near like what we had early in the pandemic and so forth. So um, that's one of many adjustments, but it's not the core adjustment that's being made. All right, that core adjustment, Glenn, again, just to make sure I'm understanding your point is they're just eating a little bit less. They're scaling back on their meat purchases is what you anticipate happening out there at the uh, grocery store? 
It, at the moment, yes, and I'm trying to reiterate this message is I think it's their finances. You know, I'm not you know encouraging the beef, pork, or to be complete here, the chicken industry to necessarily do anything different uh, in terms of their product offerings. I mean, if you can do smaller packages, that's appealing at times. Uh, Amory Ronick just gave out the Power of Meat report, which probably some of your listeners are aware of. You know, inflation is king was the key to her message for the past year. Uh, lots of retail interest in accommodating that. Here is 23 starts. And unfortunately, I think we're going to be talking about this for you know at least the next several months. I think you're exactly right there, Glenn. And we'll also be talking about the flip side, the impact of these beef prices, then up the value chain to the producer. Do you have any thoughts for cattle feeders here as they plan to, to fill those lots for this summer? Yeah, for those that struggle to you know sleep at night, you can go watch a recent recording of my talk here, Mike. Is uh, more seriously, case you got her Cattleman's Day uh, about ten days ago. If you go to our uh, K-State Animal Science and Industry website or just Google my name, you'll probably find it. There's a full Outlook talk uh, for your listeners that want that full breakdown. But across the board, we're projecting higher cattle prices this year and next year, primarily because of supply-side support. I'm confident other you know experts you've had on have mapped that out. Um, but I always interject, and I did at length in that most recent talk, that hinges on beef demand holding its own. And we're talking about beef demand slipping some. It can slip some, and the supply side support will, you know, trump that. So we'll have higher cattle prices. But domestic and foreign demand for U.S. beef can't slip a lot. Otherwise, that'll put a notable ceiling on how high those cattle prices or farm gate prices for your producers go. So um, tight supplies are helping cattle prices, but we can't forget this demand piece of that story. We certainly can't. Demand is so vital. As you look around the world, Glenn, any concerns globally for beef demand to fall off, or are we all just watching for the recession? Uh, there's this global tone of you know, how much is economic activity going to maybe continue to slip is the right term now instead of the slip, it's continue. Um, you know, there's a lot of macroeconomic noise. Um, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank is all over the equity markets as we speak. Uh, fears of contagion and so forth. I, I would encourage some calmer minds to you know come to bear on that. Uh, we have a much deeper financial system than most tend to think we do. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight that. You know that's adding some concern and uncertainty to the broader macroeconomic situation, and that is not good, particularly for beef demand. So beef demand tends to be the most related to economic activity uh, as the most expensive protein. It corresponds with net consumer incomes. Uh, so anything globally that improves the macroeconomic situation is going to be good for global beef exports. Uh, the same statement holds for pork, but it's not quite as extreme. All right, folks, we'll continue to watch how this economy plays out and filters back through prices paid for beef and pork. That's Dr. Glenn Tonser, Kansas State University, author of the Meat Demand Monitor. Glenn, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me on, Mike. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns. Iowa Senior Senator Charles Grassley will join the program. We'll get an update on what's developing in Washington, D.C. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.
As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here, we are mixed as we work through our session after starting initially lower and bearish with outside market pressure stemming from the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and the reaction from the Fed, the FDIC, and the administration to protect depositor accounts there. We're continuing to watch as the market's going to be pretty headline-driven by what's happening in the banking sector and the outside market trade. The VIX, Wall Street's unofficial fear index, rose to trade at a four-month high just below the pivotal 30 level here this morning. And it's currently trading near 29. So we're going to be watching that closely. Commodity prices generally uh, started under pressure again, but we've lessened that pressure just a little bit. We initially saw buying in crude oil and grains and oil seeds last night when trading started, but both sectors came under pressure. Crude is still under pressure here this morning, down about 2%, while the grain trade, corn, beans have bounced back a little bit. Wheat as well bouncing back too. We look at the U.S. dollar index, watching that closely. That is down 68 basis points at 103.87. So maybe some trade into grains and oil seeds here, into commodities as a whole as a, as a safe haven by funds and investors. We'll have to watch how that goes throughout the session. We also are watching the Ukraine grain deal negotiations starting today in Geneva. Will that get extended or not? The general thought is it will, but still that remains to be seen. So that's something to watch in the trade. South American weather, we continue to watch that as well here as we work through the day today. Over in the livestock trade, mostly lower in cattle and hogs. As we head into the new week, we are just trading lower. Traders are yearning to see what the market's fundamentals do. It'll be important to see how last week's negotiated cash cattle were committed as it could indicate if prices will be steady this week or slightly higher. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now we're going to turn our focus out east to Washington, D.C. Last week, before Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, the conversation in D.C. was focused on President Biden's budget release. Joining us for an update on that, plus a conversation about what's happening on the Senate side of the Ag Committee ahead of the Farm Bill. Joining us now is Senator Charles Grassley, Republican senior senator from the great state of Iowa. And Senator Grassley, thanks for joining us today. Can you imagine a six and seven tenths trillion dollar budget uh, expanding the uh, role of the federal government in the economy of the United States? Uh, that's not good overall. Uh, this would be the biggest uh, growth in federal expenditure as a percentage of the gross national product of any time since World War II. Uh, it's going to approach about 25% of the gross national product, where the 50-year average is about 19 or 20%. So you can see that when the federal government assumes that a larger share of expenditures, uh, that it doesn't do the same economic good as if the money is in the pockets of the farmers and the middle class of the United States uh, where uh, 160 million uh, individuals uh, working uh, can decide for themselves what to spend or to save uh, and, and just creates more jobs and more economic expansion. If we're going to get this economy under control, we have to grow the economy, not grow the government. That is a great point, Senator. And with regard to the president's budget, of course, that announcement happened. Now Congress really gets to to take the reins and seeing how this happens. Uh, what's the discussion shaping up like that uh, or around the budget in D.C.? Well, let me tell you this. Whether it's a Democrat president's budget or a Republican president's budget, most uh, budgets are dead on arrival. And that comes from our Constitution of the United States. Presidents propose, but Congress dispose. We have the constitutional power of the purse, and so we're going to head in our own direction and ignore the president's uh, budget uh, and, uh, and work it out between Republicans and Democrats uh, here in the Congress of the United States. That isn't uh, true just of the 2024 budget. That's true of any budget uh, in the history of our country. Absolutely. And Republicans and Democrats get together not just to work on the budget, but all the le legislative issues there in Washington, D.C. Senator, one that you are intimately connected to is the passage of the Farm Bill. Of course, you serve on the Senate Ag Committee. We've had a couple of hearings so far. Can you bring us up to speed? How have those discussions gone with regard to this new Farm Bill? They've gone very well. They haven't been contentious like a lot of hearings are because most farm bills are very much bipartisan. They always have been. They have to be. Uh, if there's any uh, disagreement within uh, committees, it's uh, individual members of the Agriculture Committee trying to establish through the witnesses that come to testify for us to make our points or to get their commitment to agree with uh, whatever uh, question or comment uh, that a particular member of the committee might make, uh, but these uh, 
the, this is a process we go through of gathering information uh, to update the uh, uh, the uh, farm bills every five years, and that's what we're in the process of doing right now. And inflation, of course, is a concern. I'm hearing from growers across the country. No doubt you're hearing concerns about price increases from your constituents, uh, Senator Grassley. It, it, how are we going to roll that into the farm bill here in this discussion? Or is that something you're you're currently hearing about at the Senate Ag Committee? Well, it is a very important point of discussion. We haven't made any decisions on it at this point. Uh, but w in regard to the uh, PIC and the ARC programs, uh, that's P-I-K or A-R-C, where farmers get a choice of what they want to do, uh, it it uh, it mostly uh, revolves around uh, those uh, 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 those figures like three dollars and seventy nine cents for corn and eight dollars and some cents for soybeans. The extent to which those ought to be increased because of the increased inputs that you're talking about, meaning the increased price of seed, fertilizer, and chemicals. Senator, do you think the, the other the way, members... Yeah. Oh, let, go ahead. Me, let, let me... Uh, I didn't mention the most important safety net that Iowa farmers want me to back is keeping crop insurance the way it is. So what I said about ARC and PIC is uh, separate from uh, keeping crop insurance the way it uh, has been. Uh, maybe uh, fine-tuning it a little bit, but not changing it a whole lot. I'm sorry. No, that's okay, Senator. I'm glad you made that clarification. Of course, that ARC and PLC is a different issue than the, the revenue protection. And I'm wondering here, as, as, you, as you, with your background in agriculture, listen to the issues being brought up in the Senate Ag Committee hearings, Senator, do you think the non-ag folks on the Ag Committee are getting a full picture of the farmers' challenges out here in, uh, out here in the country? Well, they are if they attend the committee meetings and if they're up on it. Uh, you, you know, uh, you got to, that question is more appropriate for the House of Representatives where there's probably only 30 or 40 really rural districts uh, in the country that have agriculture as their main point where everybody else, let's say 350 to 400 other people in the House of Representatives, uh, they don't even have dirt in their district. So consequently, they don't know very much about agriculture. Whereas in the United States Senate, uh, whether you're Delaware uh, or New Hampshire, uh, you still have agriculture. A, a small state like that has agriculture, or a big state like California and Iowa are very prominent in agriculture. Uh, so there's a better understanding of agriculture in the United States Senate with the individual members than there is in the House of Representatives. Yes, that's a great point. Every senator has agricultural, but not every House of Representatives member certainly does. Senator, while we've got you on the line, of course, we're in January, but it won't be too long, and we'll have college freshmen heading off to schools across the country, and you've raised an issue that was under the radar for me, and these are changes coming in the FAFSA, the student aid form that you fill out. Farm families could get a disadvantage this next year. Is that right? Yeah, these progressives in Washington that want the government to run everything and they want to redistribute wealth, uh, they want uh, the, the net value of, uh, of a farm 
to be a deciding factor uh, in whether or not you can get guaranteed student loans and Pell Grants. And basically, it's going to make the kids of, uh, of family farmers uh, to a great extent, unlike uh, for the past 30 or 40 years, ineligible for guaranteed student loans and Pell Grants. It's called the uh, uh, Simplification Act that was passed recently in Congress, and the impact on farmer fa- uh, uh, farm, uh, farm families uh, is, uh, is t- they're trying to sneak something through by regulation that would be totally under the radar. So that's why we in Midwest are talking so much about it. We don't want kids with family farms uh, just because of the uh, inflationary impact and rise in the value of farmland to rule them out. It should be determined by the income that comes to the family farmer, not by what their wealth might be based in uh, infl- inflationary uh, inflation in farmland prices. Because you don't sell a family farm to send a kid to school. You, uh, you do that with the income that's produced on the farm. So family farmers had better let their uh, uh, congressmen and senators know uh, that they want to be treated fairly with uh, city people when it comes to sending your kids to, uh, to college. Absolutely, folks. If you have a young person preparing over the next couple of years to get to school, pay attention to this issue, including all of the assets that you own rather than just the income. It's going to change that financial picture substantially. Senator, while we've got you on the line, of course, you have reintroduced the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill in this new Congress. Can you give us an update? How does the conversation look around it so far? Well, the need for it hasn't changed from last Congress when our bill that is has about 10 Republican, 10 Democrat co-sponsors, got out of committee on a voice vote. It didn't get brought up in the United States Senate, like uh, uh, Schumer indicated to Senator Tester, it would come up. The need is exactly the same, and we're per, we've reintroduced the bill uh, and expect to fight for it uh, either as part of a separate bill or maybe including it in the farm bill. All right, we can producer in Iowa. Absolutely. It certainly matters to those folks. People, we have been talking today with Iowa's senior senator, Republican Charles Grassley. Quick note, Senator Grassley is responsible for three of the six bills that have so far passed out of Congress. Senator Grassley, thanks for getting things done there in Washington, D.C. God bless you. Goodbye. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We're going to take a look at the weather forecast with Teresa Dykeman of DTN Weather when we return. Stay here. We'll have more coming up in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. 
In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Certainly appreciate being included in a part of your day. And, well, for a lot of folks, today is going to be cool. Those cold weathers making the, making its appearance back across the country, and it's happening after an active weather weekend. Joining us now for an update is Teresa Deutschman. She's a meteorologist with DTN Weather. And, Teresa, fill us in. Who got hit the hardest this past weekend? Yeah, so it was really... Uh... Northern Minnesota got hit pretty hard this weekend. They saw some snowfall reports up to 8 to 12 inches. I even saw some reports up to 14 to 16 inches. So they got hit pretty hard with that system moving through on Saturday. Oh, man, that is true. Well, Teresa, as we prepare to start this week off, where's the action going to be taking place? Yeah, so right now there's actually an ongoing nor'easter across New England. That'll push out here over the next 24 to 48 hours. But our eyes are going to turn over to the west coast here later today into Tuesday. They're going to have a system moving through here that's going to provide some, some pretty significant rainfall to portions of California. And then we're going to watch this system push across uh, the western U.S. here later this week and then drop into the central U.S. by Thursday into Friday. Oh, man. Okay, Teresa, that sounds pretty active. Let's talk first about the impact in the West. As this atmospheric river moves into California, how much rain are they expected to get? Yeah, so I just took a peek at some uh, rainfall forecasts there. Um, valley areas in California could see up to three inches with this. And then in the Sierras and in the foothills, they could see up to three to seven inches of rain. So it's, it's going to be pretty significant. Teresa, as we get through this week, plus all the rain we've had over the past couple of weeks, are we going to see that drought threat in California at least wiped out in the next couple of weeks? You know, I'm not going to go as far as to say wiped out, but it's definitely going to help the drought situation out there. Um, looking at the most recent drought monitor, there is still some areas of um, severe drought in very northern California and very southern California. But um, for the Sierras and the San Joaquin Valley area, they, they're looking pretty good. The drought's almost completely gone for them. 
Well, that is good news for those folks in the extreme West. Now, Teresa, let's talk the Middle West. Once that rain and that snow pushes through California into the Mountain West, are we going to see some substantial snow totals there in the Colorado River Basin? Um, I'm not so sure about there. I've been more more looking at the central U.S. as of right now. So, All right. Well, who's going to see the moisture with in the central U.S.? Yeah. So in the central United States, um, right now, we're looking at eastern South Dakota, into Minnesota, areas of Wisconsin. They could see the heavy snowfall here uh, Thursday into Friday. Uh, just taking a peek at some snowfall forecasts there, they could see uh, two to eight inches, maybe upwards of a foot again for them. Oh, wow. Okay. So it is going to stay active for a while. And then, Teresa, you mentioned this is going to push its way on farther east. Is it going to leave much inundation in the eastern Corn Belt, Ohio River Valley? Yep. Yep. Still going to push into those areas, too. Thinking more on the rainfall side for them, so not in terms of heavy snowfall. Um, but, yeah, they're still going to see a cold front work through. It's going to be pretty strong and um, could even see some thunderstorms there in the south central U.S. too as it pushes through. Now, you mentioned a cold front there, Teresa. How much should we expect temps to drop here as this thing pushes across the U.S.? Yeah, so behind this system, uh, unfortunately, temperatures are going to cool off a little bit. We're looking at uh, below to even well below average temperatures here. Um through through late this week and early next week all right farmers might have a bit of a slowdown getting fields prepared for this spring planting here in the u.s but teresa we've got a little time let's go down to south america the harvest is on pace in brazil they've been getting some moisture do you expect that rainfall across brazil to continue yeah this week we're still looking at a pretty active pattern here for brazil with scattered um sh showers here through the week uh, for areas in southern Brazil, though, they might get a few more breaks uh, than portions of central Brazil, so they might get a few more opportunities to get back out in the field. All right. Argentina, if we go even farther south, of course, that country has been gripped by drought for the better part of six months here. Teresa, any rain in the forecast for those folks in deep south South America? Well, for those guys down there, yep, still seeing uh, a pretty active pattern here, but I think a lot of that rainfall is going to be in in the upper elevations of far southern Argentina. However, if we do take a peek at uh, central areas of Argentina, even into northern Argentina, they could see a little bit better chances here um, this week for some rainfall, although it will be pretty isolated. All right. Watching that moisture continue to increase there. Teresa, before we let you go, we've been tracking this movement away from La Nina towards an eventual El Nino state. Is that move still happening today? Is that ENSO in a neutral state? Yeah, yep. We're still in neutral conditions here right now this spring. But as we transition into the summer months here, we're definitely going to start to see El Nino creep back in. All right, folks, keep an eye on those waters there off the coast of uh, Chile in the Pacific. That determines whether or not we're in that La Nina or the El Nino and the subsequent impact on the ag economy. We've been talking today with Teresa Deutschman. She's a meteorologist with DTN Weather. And Teresa, thanks for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me on. And folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Before we go, real quick, had a piece of news come out. Touches on a number of the issues we have been talking about. Global 
ag trade. We've seen the Brazilians and the Chinese become better friends here in recent years as China looks to find new places to source some ag trade. Well, now it appears the Australians are doing something similar. The Australian government has announced that they are opening talks with the Brazilian government in the hopes of forging a new trade agreement, lining up Brazil and Australia to get some trade advantages. We'll follow that story here on AOA, folks. And tomorrow, we'll talk global swine health with our friend Dr. Paul Sundberg from the Swine Health Information Center. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.